Hey, welcome back to the virtual sponsorship series. This is a study of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's video is going to be on chapter four, We Agnostics, part two. We are gonna be starting where we left off in the last video on page 50 on the second paragraph from the top. In our personal stories, you will find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. Whether we agree with a particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that these are matters about which, for our purpose, we need not be worried. They are questions for each individual to settle for himself. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. So we don't have to accept anybody's version of what a higher power is and everybody's path to a spiritual experience is going to look different. However, there are some common attributes to everybody's experience. One being that they have thoroughly worked the 12 steps to the best of their ability. And the other common denominator between everybody's experiences, once they have found this higher power as a result of the spiritual experience from the 12 steps, they are able to achieve what seems to be impossible or as what they're referring to as miraculous. And that is simply that they have overcome the desire to drink ourselves to death. Now, when you just coming in, this might seem hard to believe. And, and that's why they're saying here, well, let's take a look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they showed the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. They show how the change came over them. When many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives, they present a powerful reason why one should have faith. So this paragraph is the record that they're saying, let's take a look at. And they're saying many thousands of people have had the experiences that they're talking about in this writing here. However, this book was written a long time ago, and since then, AA has grown significantly. Today, there's about 2 million active members in AA that all are basically telling a very similar story of like what happened to them and how they became uh, sober. Now, to the agnostic who thinks he's unable to believe in a higher power without sufficient proof, this collective experience seems to be some powerful evidence towards what these people are saying. 
we may never be able to prove spiritual experience and God in the objective sense like science would be able to prove that the earth is not the center of the universe. But when you have millions of people sharing the same experience that when they adopted a certain lifestyle, everything changed for them and their lives got better, this presents some powerful evidence that we should maybe look into what the people are saying. This world of ours has made more material progress in the last century than all the millenniums which went before. Almost everyone knows the reason. Students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today, yet in ancient times material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research, and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fettered by superstition, tradition, and all sorts of fixed ideas. Some of the contemporaries of Columbus thought a round earth preposterous, Others came near putting Galileo to death for his astronomical heresies. So taking the God idea and putting it to the side for a second, they take a look at this idea of scientific progress. Now, anybody who's struggling with this idea of God, most of the time they can accept scientific theories relatively easily. But they point out that as science progressed, there was this process that came about where they would have to let go of these old notions of the way the world was to accept a new better idea that made more sense. However, in all of this progress that was being made in the material realm, there was always people that didn't want to believe in the new idea that was being presented and so they refused to change. This is exactly like what happens when we come into AA. We have a drinking problem that has got us beaten down into submission. We are unable to manage our lives and everything has basically started to fall apart. And so when we come in, we hear everybody around us saying that we must change the way that we're living in order to bring about the desired results. And just like the people that didn't want to accept the new scientific theories put forth by Galileo, we refuse to believe them and think it's all nonsense. We asked ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material? Even in the present century, American newspapers were afraid to print an account of the Wright brothers' first successful flight at Kitty Hawk. Had not all efforts at flight failed before? Did not Professor Langley's flying machine go to the bottom of the Potomac River? Was it not true that the best mathematical minds had proved man could never fly? Had not people said God had reserved this privilege to the birds? Only 30 years later, the conquest of the air was almost an old story and airplane travel was in full swing. So once again, they're going even further, pointing out how our old biased ideas that no longer work get in the way of us letting go of the beliefs, thoughts, and actions that are our downfall and accepting new ideas that do work. But in most fields, our generation has witnessed complete liberation of our thinking. 
Show any longshoreman a Sunday supplement describing a proposal to explore the moon by means of a rocket, and he will say, I'd bet thee do it. Maybe not so long, either. Is not our age characterized by the ease with which we discard old ideas for new? By the complete readiness with which we throw away a theory or gadget which does not work for something new which does? We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. So in this example, the longshoreman, who has no scientific education whatsoever, can easily accept an idea which there is no sufficient proof for. At the time of this writing, nobody had ever been to the moon before. But yet, they can easily accept an idea like that on faith. Then they go into the bedevilments, all of our relationship problems and the misery that alcohol causes us, the financial issues and the hopelessness of our situation is enough to break the spirit of even the strongest people. So the question we should be asking ourselves is, why can we accept things on faith that have little or nothing to do with our well-being, but yet when we are asked to take a leap of faith in regards to our physical, mental, and spiritual health, we just can't seem to bring ourselves to do it. So the question is, why do we want to stay sick? When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. So if we look back on our past experiences and see how our own human will has fared against fighting our alcoholism, we can quickly see that it has been almost useless in that regards. But yet, all these people around us are telling us that when they started to rely upon a higher power, they were able to overcome the alcoholism that has us so hopelessly defeated. We must start to take a hard look at that. Practically speaking, this is how we do step two. This is how we come to believe that a power greater than us can restore us to sanity. We don't necessarily take that leap of faith in our own life immediately, but rather we start to see it actually happening for other people around us. And when we see it working in their life, it makes it a little bit more easy to believe that perhaps it would work in our life as well. Logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. 
It is not by chance we were given the power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses, and to draw conclusions. That is one of man's magnificent attributes. We agnostically inclined would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to reasonable approach and interpretation. Hence we are at pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable, why we think it more sane and logical to believe than not to believe, why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said, we don't know. So this is actually good news. Most of us don't have faith when we come into the program, or at least not a faith that works. So if faith was required to start the 12-step journey, a lot of us would probably be pretty doomed. But when we break it down this way, we can actually start this 12-step journey with logic. Our ideas are no longer working for us, and we have a vast array of people giving us new ideas to try out. And so we can look at this scientifically and do the experiment of the 12 steps to see if what they're saying happens in your life. Then down the line after the process is over and you have achieved the results that everybody around you had been promising you all along, then you have found your faith. When we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? Arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out in welcome. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we had been leaning too heavily on reason that last mile and we did not like to lose our support. God is everything or God is nothing. This is the choice that we have to make. Now anybody who was agnostic or atheist would probably lean towards nothing, but imposed with this crisis of alcoholism, we're forced to take a harder look at it. And if we have done a thorough first step and we truly believe that our life is in danger, then we are much more likely to be open-minded on the matter. After all, there are no atheists in foxholes. Or in other words, if you ask a man who thinks he might die what he thinks of God, he will probably be much more careful in how he answers. That was natural, but let us think a little more closely. Without knowing it, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? For did we not believe in our own reasoning? Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? What was that but a sort of faith? Yes, we had been faithful, abjectly faithful to the God of reason. So in one way or another, we discovered that faith had been involved all the time. So what they're pointing out here is we actively use faith in our day-to-day -day life all the time. You can come up with countless examples for this. When you sit down in a chair, you don't inspect it first to make sure it's not going to collapse under your weight. 
We go to work all week, and we have faith that at the end of the week we will get paid for our time and effort. So even though we may never have had faith in a higher power, faith is a concept that we are capable of already. We found, too, that we had been worshippers. What a state of mental goose flesh that used to bring on. Had we not variously worshipped people, sentiment, things, money, and ourselves? And then, with a better motive, had we not worshipfully beheld the sunset, the sea, or a flower? Who of us had not loved something or somebody? How much did these feelings, these loves, these worships have to do with pure reason? Little or nothing we saw at last. Were not these things the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? It was impossible to say we had no capacity for faith or love or worship. In one form or another, we had been living by faith and little else. So just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't have a higher power. Most of us worship our own ambitions. We believe that our own will, or perhaps things like sex, money, work, or even alcohol, will be the solution to all of our problems, and we put all of our faith in the pursuit of these things. So what we really have is not a problem of lack of faith, but rather a problem of misplaced faith. Imagine life without faith. Were nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did. We could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line is the shortest distance between two points, yet there it was. Could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons, created out of nothing, meaning nothing, whirling on to a destiny of nothingness? Of course we couldn't. The electrons themselves seemed more intelligent than that, at least so the chemist said. Hence we saw that reason isn't everything. Neither is reason, as most of us use it, entirely dependable, though it emanate from our best minds. What about people who prove that man could never fly? So the idea that everything is random and nothing has any meaning whatsoever is just as hard to believe as the God idea. After all, the laws of nature that science describes suggest an intelligence beyond mere random chance. Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world, people who rose above their problems. They said God made these things possible and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release but liked to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. In my own personal recovery, when I got onto my fourth step with my sponsor, I had to write down a list of all my resentments. One of the things I wrote on my list was life. 
I had a resentment against life because I felt that I had been dealt a bad hand and that all of my problems were a consequence of just having bad luck. Now the funny thing is, at the time when I was writing the fourth step, I didn't believe in God. But the whole idea that somebody could resent life and think it's unfair suggests there's an intelligence behind it. If somebody were to throw a rock at you, would you get mad at the rock or would you get mad at the person who threw it at you? So if you feel that life is unfair and you're indignant and angry about the hand that you have been dealt, that suggests that there is an intelligence behind it dealing you the bad hand. So that idea of God was in me all along. I had just buried it so deeply inside of myself because the mess I had made in my own life had gotten me to be so miserable and because I wasn't ready to accept that it was a mess of my own making, then if there was a God, then I would have a serious issue with that God for making my life a mess. Little did I realize that it was my fault all along. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much of fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So if this idea of God does exist within all of us, then we have buried him deep down within us and built up a wall around him. So in order to fearlessly search for this God inside of us, we must take a hard look at our lives and our actions. And we do this in our fourth step inventory. The process of writing down our resentments, our fears, and our harms and then talking about them with another person is the process of doing this soul searching and dismantling the wall that we have built up around the God within us. We can only clear the ground a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then, if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. In this book, you will read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. His story is so interesting that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. So what they mean by this broad highway is it doesn't matter what you believe. The only thing that matters is that you seek. We do this seeking by working with the sponsor, working the steps, reading the big book, and also diving into prayer, meditation, and other spiritual literature. We may not know any kind of higher power when we come into the program, but if we seek to find out more information about it, we will surely find it. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, 
These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical collapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. So this guy was introduced to religion when he was a child and turned away from it and became resentful towards the whole idea. His life got ever worse and worse. Post-war disillusionment is referred to as post-traumatic stress disorder today. His alcoholism got worse and worse until he was finally driven to a point where he had to find a solution to his problems. One night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge rose as he bitterly cried out, If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question, Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? This is exactly the point that every alcoholic must be driven to in order to achieve recovery. But this takes humility. Some people have to be beaten over and over again by their alcoholism pretty severely before they are finally willing to, to ask themselves that same question. Who are we to decide that there is no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from the bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vistitude has shaken it. His alcoholic problem was taken away. That very night years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of drink has never returned, and at such times a great revulsion has risen up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God had restored his sanity. So in this guy's story, he has the, a white light experience, which is a sudden spiritual experience where you're overwhelmed with the presence of God all at once. Now some people have these experiences but many others have what they call the educational variety and this type of spiritual experience happens more gradually over time. However, down the line there is usually an aha moment where we suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And as it goes on to say, the result of this spiritual experience is exactly what the program promises. He overcomes his insane desire to drink over and over again. And sometimes he recoils from it as if it were a hot flame. These are the promises of the program. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. 
circumstances made him willing to believe, he humbly offered himself to his maker, then he knew. Even so, has God restored us all to our right minds? To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. This miracle of healing is exactly why one alcoholic working with another is so effective. A recovered alcoholic is literally living proof of the miraculous healing that can come about as a result of working the 12 steps. Now, the circumstances that made this gentleman willing to believe was the vicious beating he received from his alcoholism. So he humbly offered himself to his higher power and he immediately got the results. Now, some of us must wait longer for the results, but they will surely come as long as we continue to seek a higher power in our life. So that concludes chapter four, We Agnostics. Join me next time for chapter five, How It Works, where we will be taking a much deeper look at the 12 steps and some practical information on writing a fourth step inventory.